for a scripture reading, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting even to the bone and to the marrow. And as God's word is, it is to be a tool, an instrument to cut to our very hearts to make us as a living sacrifice before him. And in order to give heed and honor to God's word, let's stand if you're able and we'll read together 1 Corinthians 15 starting at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, at last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would work with your word, that you would stir us up to attend, to believe, and to be transformed by this, your holy word, for we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Please be seated. There's a problem that you might have, uh, some young people, depending of who you're dealing with. You might have teachers at school. You might have a professor in college, a neighbor, a friend, or a family member who question God's word. And at this time of the year, they might even question the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They might even question whether there is such thing as a resurrection at all. This is nothing new. If you remember back in uh, the book of Acts, when Paul uh, was preaching in, at the uh, Areopagus in Athens, there were Greek intellectuals of that day who loved to hear any new thing or any new doctrine, and they were willing to hear about what Paul spoke about concerning worship, concerning the nature of God and the nature of man. But then, when Paul preached on the resurrection, many sneered. They made an ugly face. What's this babbler talking about? It's nothing new that people might question your faith question God's word. Um, Paul did teach that Jesus Christ died a gruesome death, that he was crucified on the cross for our sins, that he was raised on the third day. And if he said all of that to those Greeks, they would have then become totally unhinged. 
In Corinth, though, this was a, a church, since we're looking at the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, um, we want a little context of what this church was like and what this culture was like. In, in Corinth, it was a prosperous trade city, um, but it did have a notorious reputation. Um, it wasn't Christians. It wasn't even Jews. It was the pagans of the day who took the word Corinth and they made a verb out of it to Corinthianize. And that word meant to mean commit sexual immorality or to corrupt. So if your city is so bad where they, they, they make a word out of it and they pair it with corruption, you know you live in a pretty bad, wicked place. Uh, I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians, uh, keep your place in 1 Corinthians 15 because we will go back there. But uh, 1 Corinthians 6, I want to show you what Paul says concerning the, the grace of God, but also what this culture was like. 1 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. God did a transforming work in this church because many of them were involved in probably multiple of these condemned sins. Such were some of you. Um, despite this, this church still had a lot of needs. There was a lot of uh, correction that they still needed from the Apostle Paul. Uh, in chapter 1 of, the, uh, of this uh, epistle, they were having a cult of personality. Some would say things like, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. In other words, not following Christ, but following a, a particular person. Chapter 5, um, there were those who were committing sexual immorality that was incest, a crime or, or a wickedness that was so bad that wasn't even named among the Gentiles. Yet it was going on within the church and not being disciplined by the church. And that, that's why Paul rebuked them and told them to cast such a man out. Chapter 11, they were abusing the Lord's Supper. Some were taking the Lord's Supper and drinking and getting drunk, rather than not even sharing with those other members of the church who came in to celebrate the Holy Sacrament. Um, having said all that, that was some problems. Those were very, many problems. But one of the problems we have to look back at, it's even worse, is in 1 Corinthians 15. Now we're going to have to shoot a little bit ahead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 12, notice one of the problems in the church is that some people question essential doctrines. In verse 12 of chapter 15, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Not even Christ has been raised. So notice, 
This is a church with many problems, practical problems, but here's one of the most serious doctrinal problems that they question the resurrection and even the very resurrection of Christ. And that's why we have, if you haven't known this, an entire chapter, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, is entirely devoted to the subject of the resurrection. As we focus on verses 1 through 8 today, or this morning, uh, the main focus is that you are to hold fast to God's word and witness his resurrection. You are to hold fast to God's word and to witness his resurrection. So we'll see this in two main points. Hold fast to God's word and the use of evidence for your witness. Let's look at this first main point. Hold fast to God's word. And before you can witness, you have to have a faithful, consistent discipleship as a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he writes in verses 1 through 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Now he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to a group of believers. But notice that even Christians need to be reminded of the gospel. You can be a Christian for 20 or 30 years. You still need to be reminded of what the gospel says. In Deuteronomy 6, uh, immediately after that giving, the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy 5, if they were going to go into the promised land, that there was a danger of God giving them material blessings. Great and splendid cities which they didn't build, cisterns and vineyards and olive groves. They were going to enjoy all these wonderful things when they moved into the promised land. And here was the warning for them. Watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. There was a danger that they would forget the Lord. And then what happened? After Joshua died... There were many who did not know Joshua, the ways of Joshua, or the ways of Moses. And there arose new leadership in Israel, and the people went after pagan gods. And therefore, that's what you have, that repeated cycle in the book of Judges. They forgot their Lord. Now, some in, in Corinth were forgetting God because their hearts were lifted up in pride. Look back at uh, 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Now, these things, brethren... I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written so that no one of you may become arrogant in behalf of one another. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you have received it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. Notice that. They were going beyond what was written, and he even rebukes them to the point where they were acting and believing that they themselves were, were kings. And some people are like that. They think they have to be treated like royalty because they are thinking more highly than they thought 
of themselves, they were prone to be puffed up and proud. And when you're like that, what happens? You forget the Lord your God. Until we go to glory, until we go to be with the Lord in the presence of the holy angels and the spirits of just men made perfect, until we go and then later on be given resurrected bodies with new minds and sinless bodies, we will always have a proclivity to forget and to be proud. And we have to rebuke sometimes even ourselves in order to not fall into that path. If you uh, remember what Scripture says, and you remember what this God's Word says, you cannot go beyond what is written in God's Word. It is God's Word in which you stand, according to today's text. It is in God's Word that you are to hold fast. The Word that was preached to you, it says here, unless you have believed in vain. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, when it mentions some believing in vain, now, there might be a Christian who might get kind of scared of this. And I, I'm, when I was first in the, in the church, I had a fear of this particular thing. What, what if I believe now, but later on, next year, I don't believe? What if later on I, I, I find out that I believed in vain, like this text says? If there is anyone who has received the word of God by faith, you have been written in the Lamb's book of life. You are, as it says in Ephesians 4.30, sealed for the day of redemption if you belong to Jesus Christ by faith. Now, what about somebody who's in the church, who has faith, he believes the gospel, yet later on, somewhere down the line, they stop coming. And they say, well, I believe the gospel, but not anymore. I was a Christian, but not anymore. Did they ever have saving faith and lose it? Were they ever united to Christ and lose that union? Were they ever cut off from that union to Jesus Christ? 1 John 2 says, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. So if someone has a faith for a time, you could say a temporary or a fickle faith, they never were truly saved. They never were truly united to Christ in the first place. Now getting back to 1 Corinthians 15, it says that in verses 3 through 4, it tells us exactly what sort of gospel we are to hold to. Now before I read these verses in 3 to 4, I want you to catch note of this. Some scholars believe that these verses in 3 and 4 were an, a very ancient creed that someone had to hold to in order to be baptized into the first century church. That's what we have here in verses 3 through 4. It's a very ancient creed. Now, people who don't like creeds, they might not like this, these verses. But this is a, a creed found in Scripture. Verses 3 through 4. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. If you go through the book of Acts and you look at all the sermons that are preached through the book of Acts, almost every single sermon that preaches Jesus always mentions the resurrection. You know, I'm going to tell you, there are times where I preach a sermon where I might not always mention the resurrection, but it wasn't found at this particular time in the book of Acts. If you heard a gospel message, it included the gospel, but it also included the resurrection. You must hold to these truths of Christ's death, burial, and his resurrection. You must hold fast to them and never let them go. I used to know this guy that was, uh, his name is Walter. He came to our house and he did some, some tree work for us. And uh, Walter would sometimes climb pecan trees without harnesses and cut pecan trees. But if Walter went up the pecan trees to cut these limbs and wasn't holding fast, it was a matter of life and death. So I think Walter held fast very firmly to these trees as he climbed in the same fashion. It's a matter of life and death. You're holding to the truths of what Scripture says. You're holding to the truths of what the Gospel teaches, that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him, is something that you must hold fast to. It must be your absolute firm foundation. Otherwise, the storms of life will wash you away. So that's the holding fast to God's word. But next, he gives us evidence for our witness. I would say it's not just for our witness, but it's for our growth and assurance. Or maybe, if someone doesn't believe in the gospel, it's your evidence for believing and receiving the gospel. But the evidence for your witness is found in verses 5 through 6. Look there, 2 Corinthians 5 and 6. And that he appeared, this is speaking of the resurrected Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ appeared to Cephas, uh, that is, uh, to Peter, And then to the twelve, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Now, did they take a nap after seeing the Lord Jesus? No. This is what we call a euphemism to say that some of the 500 plus witnesses of the resurrected Jesus had passed on from this life, had fallen asleep in Christ, and had entered uh, eternal life. Now, note, eyewitnesses were things that were very important to have according to the Old Testament. If you had a, a court of law to try someone for a crime, you absolutely had to have eyewitness accounts. In Deuteronomy 19.15, it says that 
on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. On the matter of two or three, at minimum, witnesses, every truth was to be confirmed as authentic. Now, modern law throughout the world is rooted in these practices. You can't convict someone without witnesses. Witnesses can include an eyewitness testimony. It can also include forensic evidence, uh, such as uh, a hair sample, genetic testing, fingerprints, or something of that sort. But before we look at the evidence here for the resurrection, let's look at some other areas of life that are very lacking in evidence. You know, evidence is necessary to prove science. If you have science, it has to have the experimental method that shows something as being repeatable in a lab. Or you have to have some solid proof of other sorts. Now take the theory of evolution. Uh, According to NASA, it says that 3.5 million years ago, the earth was first formed. And then after, I'm sorry, that's 3.5 billion years ago, 3.5 billion years ago, and that after a whole billion years of the life, lifeless earth, something happened, maybe electricity from from the sky shocked some protoplasm or some goo, and then it became a single-celled organism. And then the single-celled organism became a multi-celled organism. And then the multi-celled organism became a, a little tadpole. And then the tadpole became a, um, a reptile. And then later on, you had primitive mammals. And then later on, you had primates and apes. And then later on, the apes became men. And that we all evolved from goo in some pit on a dead planet one billion years ago that first came into being into a single-cell organism. You know, there's no proof. There's no proof of one kind transitioning into a more advanced kind. There's no proof whatsoever. Now look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What evidence do we have for Jesus Christ? Uh, According um, to today's text, we have 500 plus witnesses together at one time. Two or three is all you needed. 500 plus witnesses that saw the resurrected Jesus Christ with the nail prints in his hands the hole in his side, the spear that had pierced his side. They saw the nail prints in his feet, that Jesus had truly risen from the dead. This is a highly underutilized tool in your arsenal for witnessing the faith, is that the use of this evidence of the 500 plus members who saw Jesus Christ in the resurrected form. Now, some people have misunderstood the apologetics method of a man called Cornelius Van Til. If you're not familiar with that, Cornelius Van Til taught something called presuppositional apologetics, that you had to presume 
that God's word was true and accurate at all times. But to the point some have thought that there's no room for evidence. If you just presume God's word is true, what need do you have for evidence any further? Well, I want to read to you a little portion from a book from a book called Van Til and the Use of Evidence that was written by Tom Nataro. He said this, Unless God is proven by every fact, we are left with meaninglessness. For Van Til, everything is evidence. Every fact, every object, every event properly understood is evidence for Christianity. Furthermore, every bit of evidence as he sees it proves with absolute validity the truth of God's word. Now, we believe the evidence. And I, I tell you, when you as a Christian are shown the evidence in Scripture, it builds you up your faith. It encourages you. The Holy Spirit uses that evidence. But there are times you can show people all the evidence in the world and they still don't believe. You remember the Jews who witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus. What more could you see than a man walking out of a tomb, being raised from the dead, yet they still did not believe? But if you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, working in you, pray for the Holy Spirit to work in you and to enable you to believe, God will use the evidence. Now for some, like Doubting Thomas, he wasn't going to believe any eyewitness reports. Maybe he didn't even believe 500. He said, I'm going to have to feel, put my finger in the holes of Jesus' hands and put my fingers in the holes of his feet and in his side. Unless I do that, I won't believe. But when he did, he looked at Jesus and said, my Lord and my God. But Jesus says this, blessed are they who do not see yet believe. That's us. We haven't seen Jesus face to face. We haven't touched him. But we believe the eyewitness reports. And not just a few, but the 500 plus. And that is a blessing. Pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, enable you to receive and believe in the eyewitness accounts. And again, the good news is that the Holy Spirit can and you will use evidence to convert and to build you up in your faith and to convert your friends as well. So again, if you have a school teacher, college professor, neighbor, friend, family member, maybe even this Easter, maybe after you, you leave the church, you might go to a family gathering and there's somebody who's questioning your faith, questioning the word of God, questioning the resurrection. First and foremost, hold fast to God's word. Hold on to it because your life depends on it. Jesus Christ died for sinners such as us. He suffered the pains of hell on the cross for sinners such as us. And God raised him from the dead for sinners such as us. 
This is the way of salvation that you must cling to. But remember, you have a book that is founded on evidence. There were more than 500 persons who witnessed the resurrected Christ, that he was victorious over the grave. Use that evidence to build up your faith and use that evidence to witness the truth of God's grace to others. Let's pray together. Oh, glorious Father, we thank you that you have given your church your word, a steadfast and sure foundation. We pray that you would help us to hold fast to your word, that we would not let it go. Help us, we pray, to hold fast to your word, living in such a way, knowing that our very eternal being, our very eternal consequence of where we go, after we leave this life, depends on clinging to this, your word. Help us, we pray, to cling unto it and to cling to that holy gospel. Oh, Father, we pray that you would bless your people, and especially we ask that if uh, someone here has not received and believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray that they would confess him, they would confess their sins, and that they would confess that only through Jesus Christ and his blood and sacrifice that they may be saved. Give them faith to believe, we pray. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. For a hymn of dedication, let's stand and sing 367, that glorious hymn, Up from the Grave Heroes, 367.